friends, welcome to another Sunday service at Different Church. My name is Hannah and I am the pastor of Different Church. I am really, really excited that you all are here and I think we have a really interesting topic to talk about today and hopefully you'll think it's interesting by the time we're done. <laughs> and um, I just want to remind everyone before we jump into our message for today that you can join the conversation in the comments below if you are watching on Facebook or if you are in our church Slack group in the service chatter thread, you can join the conversation there as well. If you would like an invite to our church Slack group, you can just simply email hello at diffchurch.com. That is basically like we just hang out in Slack <laughs> and you can communicate with us during the week and some important information is usually there as well. Now, our passage today comes from Psalm 31 which we're only going to read a few verses of, but I invite you as you have time later this afternoon, perhaps maybe tomorrow morning in your devotional time, if you have that to read the entire Psalm, cause it's a great Psalm and it won't take you too long to read it. We are only going to read a few verses. And so we are going to read Psalm 31 verses one through two <clears throat> and 15 through 16. And this is what it says. Oh Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be shamed. Safe me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear and listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant. In your unfailing love, rescue me. Now, the psalmist, who is the writer of this psalm, he uses interesting because he uses the word shame three times in the psalm, which is kind of a lot for a psalm that's not very long. Um, twice he asks God not to let him be put to shame. So just like in verse one that we read, Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be shamed. Um, so he says that twice. And then he also requests that God will let him put his enemies to shame. Another point in the verse. So now we aren't really certain who these who the writer's enemies are, I would assume that they are actual physical people. Um, there's not some kind of ethereal, made-up, imaginary enemy that he has. And it's certainly not shame itself. So that is not what the psalmist originally was intending. But I think that shame is quite a theme in this passage. And I think that it is quite an opponent, quite an enemy for us today in our modern context. And so we're actually going to talk about shame today and how, what it is, how it works and how our faith can fit into this. Now, it is very important to note, <laughs> there is a difference between guilt and shame. Sometimes we tend to overlap those two things and we think, well, they're the same thing. No, guilt is feeling bad for what you have done. <laughs> or perhaps what you have not done. So if I do something, I heard another person and that other person's like, hey, rude. <laughs> Maybe I will feel guilty about that. Guilt is feeling bad about what you have done or not done. Shame is actually feeling bad for who you are, which is normally measured in some kind of standard of impossible perfection that you could never reach. So there's a difference between guilt and shame. Shame takes us beyond, way beyond usually, the necessary responsibility for accepting what we have done. Like if I harm another person, or perhaps I harm myself, like I should feel some sense of hurt or guilt about that. It's a necessary emotion. It triggers us to know that we've done something harmful and we need to course correct. 
right? If, if I hurt someone, whether accidentally or on purpose, and they call me out, I should feel something. <laughs> I should have some reaction. I should be like, oh no, right? Um, feeling nothing in that situation would be a bad sign. Like lack of empathy, lack of remorse. This is like the sign of psychopaths. <laughs> and I know that there's quite a few true crime drama fans that, <laughs> that are part of different church. So y'all know what I mean, right? Like if you have no reaction, you have no empathy, no remorse, no guilt at all, when you do something to harm another person and they point that out to you, that's a problem. We should have that reaction because empathy and knowing the difference between right and wrong, that's part of what makes us human. So that's a good thing. However, when we feel shame about our actual person, about who we are, that is a different thing entirely. And I think that these get overlapped in church because we're like, yes, there is no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. Amen. I don't have to feel guilty anymore. True. <laughs> but we are still going to sin, right? So if I still lose my temper at my partner and he gets upset with me and is like, hey, that's not nice. I should feel bad about that. <laughs> I should have genuine remorse and say I'm sorry. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to then proceed to say I'm a worthless person. I don't even know why I exist on this planet and on and on. This is where shame can take us. So there's a book called The Pretty Girl. And in it, there's this character who is constantly dealing with shame. And I'm just going to read like a tiny little blurb to you of what the author says about her. Perhaps you can relate. It was her life itself. That was the sin she wanted hidden from her father and the houses and the sleeping people they were passing. And she wanted to forgive herself, but she could not because there was no single act or even pattern that she could isolate and redeem. There was something about her heart. She felt that her every action and simplest moments were soiled by an evil she could not name. That gives a really poetic description to feeling bad about yourself. <laughs> As, as to who you are, not about something that you've done. And churches are full of people who struggle with shame. I honestly think that there's more shame inside of church than there is outside of church, which really breaks my heart because faith communities, church, that's the place that is supposed to be safest for us to share our souls, to share who we are, and it's often the most dangerous. There are... Kids, little kids, who think that they're bad or dirty and they're just waiting for God to send them to hell. And I, I've literally heard children pray, like, don't send me to hell, God. I know I'm really bad. Um, there are teenagers who feel like God can never forgive them because, or, and that their potential partners or spouses in the future will never accept them because of their history. There are adults who are happily partnered in a wonderful relationship now and they're still feeling that internalized shame that the church has given them about their sexual orientation or gender identity or any kind of experience they've had in the past. There are people who have been divorced, who have been made to feel utterly worthless because their marriage ended. Like that was entirely their fault as who they are as a person, not something that happened to them. There are parents who aren't able to be fully available for their children because of their own hangups around attachment and discipline and all of these things. And I mean, we see this, right? Like as grownups, sometimes we jump from relationship to relationship, from job to job, from thing to thing, because we can't bear to face <laughs> the dark night of our own souls and look inside where and face the pain of who we believe to be. We believe that we are. 
And there's a quote, and I'm not sure who said it. So if you want to look it up (laughs) and comment below, let me know. Um, But the quote says, every single person has at least one secret that would break your heart. If we could just remember that, there would be more compassion and tolerance in the world. That really hit me when I heard it. I mean, maybe it hits you too. Every single person has at least one secret that will break your heart if you knew it. And I think what we're looking for, what we're all looking for, and I've said this before and I will say it again, (laughs) is a place where we can show our full selves to someone else and then they don't look away. And here's something to ponder. What if all the self-help books and podcasts and Instagram accounts that you follow so that you can get enough information to fix yourself aren't actually working, not because there's not good information, but because you're not actually broken. I'm going to say this again so it'll sink in. What if all the things you are doing to fix yourself aren't working because you are not actually broken? Now, this is the point where I always get kicked back from church people because it goes like this. This is the argument. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, original sin. Have you seen kids? Look at a two-year-old. You can see clearly any two-year-old and you will know that people are horrible. We're all screwed up. Look at the world. It's a mess. I know. (laughs) Okay. I know. I can see. My eyes work. I am not saying that people are not capable of wrongdoing and of inflicting pain on other people and sometimes of true evil. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, and hear me out when I say this, is that what if all the ways that we end up harming ourselves and harming other people is actually a distortion of who we are, not fundamentally who you are, So what if salvation and faith and being a Christ follower is not to rescue you from the bad person (laughs) that you are, but to actually grow and nurture and celebrate the fundamental goodness inside of you that was put there by the creator when you were created and to grow that until it itself pushes into the even the darkest and most painful corners of your heart and just fills them with the light and hope of Jesus. What if no matter what you've done in your life or will do in your life, no matter how negative or harmful, no matter what situations you have been in so far, you still, no matter what, cannot erase the fact that you were created good. And no matter what, that there will always be a spark of good inside of you that can be nurtured and fanned into a beautiful, roaring fire of good anytime you let God do that. What if, like, how does that change our perspective on faith? If we start to view ourselves the way that we are supposed to look at ourselves, which is as beautiful, wonderful, creations of the most high God that no matter what we have done or what has happened to us in our life that is not who we are we are so much more than that at at our core at our deepest we are not actually broken 
And maybe we manifest brokenness. <laughs> maybe there's distortions that happen, but it's not who we actually are. It's not who we were meant to be. And as an adult, because I know I'm talking to a bunch of adults here, when we think about this, like how do you learn? How do you grow as a person? Do you learn by getting like screamed at <laughs> and belittled? Do you grow when you're talked down to? Do you want to make positive changes in your life when someone just starts with, well, I have a prepared a list of all the things wrong with you that I would like you to fix? <laughs> no, right? No one has ever changed their mind about anything by being yelled at. That's simply not how it works. And plenty of studies have shown this, <laughs> especially in children, that positive discipline and um, positive reinforcement for children works much better in raising actual good humans who can function in the world and understand that their actions affect other people. And honestly, this is a conversation I have with so many people. I would say especially women because we are like queens of negative self-talk, but I think this applies to every single person. Like every conversation I have with someone pretty much, eventually someone will say something and I'm like, why would you say that to yourself? If you would not say it to your best friend or to your partner or to your child or someone that you love dearly, you don't get to say it to yourself. And I know that we have ingrained in us that if we just shame ourselves into whatever, that we will be able to do it. If, like, if I just shame myself, if I just be nasty to myself, then maybe I'll put the chips down. <laughs> Maybe I'll go work out and exercise. Maybe I'll actually get out of bed and like be productive in the morning. We have this in our head that like if I just yell, if I just get mad enough at myself, if I'm miserable enough, then something will change. But that's not how it works. <laughs> Science has shown it's simply not how it works. And if you wouldn't say what you're saying to yourself to someone that you love dearly, you don't get to say it to yourself. It's as plain as that. I cannot imagine... <laughs> saying some of the awful things that I've said to myself, to my best friend. I can't imagine doing that. I would never, right? But I'll gladly look in the mirror and be like, yep. <laughs> we say all of these horrible things to ourselves. We say, you're not productive. You're worthless. You're a waste of space. You're unhealthy. You're just on and on and on and on. And you'll never get out of this. And you here you go again. And there's no point in even trying. And we just go and go and go like a hamster on a wheel spiraling out of control with all of the things that we say to ourselves that are simply not true. It has to stop. It has to stop. <laughs> Why? Okay, first of all, God would never say those things to you. And I think maybe we don't believe that. Maybe deep down, we don't think that God really views us as a wonderful creation, as worthy of love, as being able to accomplish things in the world and accomplish God's purposes in the world. Maybe we don't actually believe that deep down, but God would never look at you ever in a million trillion years and say, you're worthless or say you're a waste of space or say you're ugly or say any of the myriad of things that we say to ourselves all the time and and god would know right <laughs> like if there was something that was fundamentally true about our nature you would think that the 
God of the universe, the one who knows all of our thoughts, knows all of our needs, etc., like that that God would actually know who we are fundamentally at our core and would be able to tell us the truth. And so clearly what we're telling ourselves are lies. Because if God's not going to say that to us and God's the one who actually knows, then we must be repeating lies to ourselves. We have all heard the verse in the Bible, I'm sure, where Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, love your enemies. And we always quote that in terms of like external enemies. But what if, and maybe you've never heard this interpretation before, but what if that actually includes the enemy we find in our own soul? our own mind and our own body. What if loving your enemy means loving the enemy inside of you? The one that tells you all of these horrible things. What if that's true? What if in truly loving the enemy inside of you, we can actually open the door to the healing that Christ can bring? Because if we can all work on this, perhaps we will be ready for a place that can truly welcome us home. Also, the second phrase of that verse, love your enemies, right? So how do we love? How do we show love to people? You can show that love to yourself. Pray for those who persecute you. Who's persecuting you the most right now? It's probably you. (laughs) Honestly, it's probably you. When was the last time that you prayed for yourself? And I don't mean prayed for yourself in the sense of, God, help me through the day. Because sometimes we do that, right? We're like, we can treat God that way. But I find that a lot of times when we think about prayer, we get stuck in these little loops where we're like, God, dear God, um, I need you to help me with this. And then we're like, I know I haven't prayed in a while, so maybe I shouldn't be asking for this. Um, But I still really kind of need your help on this, but I don't want to treat you like a vending machine. And we get into this weird cycle where we're like, we want to talk to God, but we feel guilty because we haven't talked to God. (laughs) And so we never end up actually praying because we spend all of our time justifying why we should be heard in the first place. Well, you know, God already hears you. God, you have an open ear. This is part of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. There is no mediator. I don't have to justify. I don't have to explain. I can just talk to God at any time. But when was the last time you actually prayed for yourself in a meaningful manner, prayed that the goodness in your heart would expand? Prayed that the peace in your mind would grow. Prayed that you would be able to look in the mirror and not say negative things to yourself. When was the last time you prayed for yourself the way that you would pray for somebody that you love? Maybe that's your homework assignment this week because I can guarantee you that God wants to hear. God wants you to pray and you are just as valuable as all of the other people that you pray for. So what is the place where we can truly be ourselves without fear, knowing that God sees us completely and is not going to look away, knowing that our faith community sees us completely and we're learning how to not look away from each other. In John 14, one through four, Jesus is telling the disciples and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this weren't so, would I have told you I was going to prepare a place for you? 
When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Home. That's where he's going. (laughs) Home, and we can experience this here. We have, obviously, home. We think of our houses, right? Or our apartment or wherever the space where we live is. But home is much bigger than that. Home is kind of a place, any place, where the barrier between heaven and earth is thin. And we get to experience that radical grace that fills our souls. Because sometimes in our houses, it doesn't feel like home. Sometimes it feels like a war zone. And maybe home for us feels some is in a different place where the people who look at us and see us fully for who we are. Because what we're looking for deep down, all of us, no matter what, is this space where the totality of our person can be embraced. A place of shelter for our bodies, for our souls, and for all the parts of us that feel adrift or unwelcome or unappreciated in the world. Though it might seem hard to remember, and even harder to believe sometimes, Jesus said to the disciples, and he says to us now, you know the way. Do you feel like you know the way? Do you feel like you know the way home to that space of full acceptance and full trust and radical grace? Usually when I ask that question to people, they say, no, I don't feel like I know the way. And I think perhaps one of the harmful things that Christianity has done and our individualistic society has done is to strip away the trust, any trust that we have in ourselves. We've been taught to question all of our emotions. For me, even, I mean, I grew up in the Pentecostal tradition, which is very heavy into emotionalism. And yet we have to question all of our emotions. That's like drilled into you. So we've been taught to question our emotions, our instincts, our gut feelings. We've been taught to look everywhere for wisdom, like seminars and podcasts and books and lectures. And and not that there isn't wisdom there, but we've been taught to look everywhere for wisdom except ourselves. There is wisdom in you. There is wisdom in you already. Part of the process, if you've ever been through therapy or counseling of of any kind, is to help people understand the wisdom that they already have inside of them and help them listen to themselves. Because deep down, we do actually know what to do. But it's hard for us to trust ourselves. The answers are already in our heart. And even if it doesn't feel like it, the answers are there because Christ is there. The Christ that resides in you, available in any moment, in all moments. You have that joy unspeakable and full of glory. You have hope, you have wisdom, you have strength. All of that is inside of you already. We are simply out of practice, listening to ourselves and listening to the spirit of God that's inside of each one of us. God is with us, available to us at all times. God is with us and God is preparing a place for us where we will be utterly accepted. Where shame we have felt, will be felt no more. Where lies we have believed will lose their power. Where the enemy we find in our own soul will be defeated. And none of these will be defeated by force, but by love, by unconditional love. Graham Garrett said, salvation is about finding the way home. Home is where you matter. And though it might seem hard to remember and even harder to believe, 
you know the way. Jesus is saying to you, you know the way. You have everything you need. You are not, in fact, broken. You are a miraculous child of God with the capacity for great love. And your capacity for great love is actually big enough for you to love yourself too. And may we all remember this week that we know the way home. Home is a place without shame. Home is here in our souls and with each other. A place where we don't feel bad about who we are because we know how God sees us and we know how we can see ourselves, which is good and whole and complete and accepted completely. And so now, as usual, we're going to close with a benediction for our week, a blessing and a prayer. And then afterwards, we're going to have a special treat from our different church band. They have a beautiful song that goes with the theme and also just touches my heart every time I hear it. It gives me a lot of feels. So I highly encourage you to stay and listen to that song um, and kind of maybe release a few things that you have been feeling this week. Let us pray. Beloved ones, let, yet, let not your heart be troubled. God has chosen to make a home in us. In a way, the whole cosmos, everyone we have ever loved, everyone who is still yet to be, all that is birthed by life and love abides in us. Just as God dwells in us, we dwell in God. There is nothing around us that is not also within. And so we are sent out to practice love towards every living thing including, and most especially, our own selves, knowing that all are connected and our hope rests in each other, the hope of glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here. I'm surprised I got through that whole message without getting emotional, but I consider that a giant win. (laughs) So I'm just sending you a big virtual hug and... I hope that we can be together in person soon. But until then, we are praying for you. I am praying for you. And we will see you next week at Different Church. Bye, friends.